You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Derek. Derek is the Managing Director of SMI with 13 years of measurement, marketing, and media background. Prior to this, Derek had a senior role at Comscore, working for, I believe, 12 years or more with leading agencies, publishers, and marketers in the digital media and advertising industry. His unwavering work ethic and ambition to become a great storyteller led him to be part of the marketing faculty at Seneca College in Toronto teaching in the social media graduate program. And in his current role, he oversees the Canadian operation across partnerships, product, business development, and client service. Derek, welcome. Great to meet you. Why don't we start off with you telling me what that acronym stands for? Yeah, for sure. And thanks. uh, You know, first of all, I'm a big fan of Marketing News Canada. So I appreciate it and the opportunity. And yeah, great to be a guest on the show. Welcome. Yeah, so SMI is uh, stands for Standard Media Index. We're a 12-year-old based company, started off in Australia, now work globally with uh, extensive partnerships with agencies, primarily leading holding companies and leading independent agencies. So yeah, Standard Media Index, you know, you'll start to hear more and more about it in the Canadian market for the Canadian listeners of our podcast. Here, um, you'll start to hear more and more about Standard Media Index in the next year. That's very exciting. Well, well, let me start with this question, actually. What was the hardest bobblehead for you to get your hands on? Oh, wow. Great question. There's a Frank Thomas bobblehead, who's a former Blue Jays player, as many know. They were scheduled to release a Frank Thomas bobblehead on a particular day, and I think it was about a week before that game. Yeah. They had traded him and <laughs> they had obviously produced the bobblehead already. And the rumor has it, you know, in the bobblehead community, which I was very, very well in tune a handful of years ago. Apparently, the story was a big shipment got stolen by a group of people and started selling them online. And I, I was able to get a hand on one of them. Oh my goodness. That's that's a <laughs> ton of effort and quite the story. Yeah. I got that from my Angela. Oh, I asked okay. her, I'm like, I'm like, hey, what can you tell me about Derek? And she let me know, well, I know he's got this crazy co- collection. I was like, you got to tell me more about that. Awesome. Well, that That's great. Now, let's move over to your origin story. I'd love to understand how you became um, the managing director at Standard Media Index and what brought you from university student all the way to many years invested into marketing data insights to where you are now. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, for sure. So academically, my foundation is business-based. I've got a business and marketing degree from Laurier, so go Golden Hawks. And, (laughs) you know, always had a passion for uh, the advertising side of marketing. And at the time, to me, the advertising side meant creative is, you know, seeing those funny commercials and all of that, you know, The marketing courses that I took at Laurier, I was always, you know, eager to be in class and listen to all the unique case studies. And one of the professors there, and I'm going to give him a shout out because he's built kind of my foundation, Harvier Banzel. He uh, recommended me to go to a company that he worked part time and uh, built a lot of the concepts for called Comscore. 
So that led me to Comscore. I had the opportunity to start fresh right out of school as an analyst. Started, you know, telling stories with data, started really understanding how to work with a large data set and bringing those insights around data back to clients, agencies, and publishers. And so I spent 12 years at Comscore, 12 short years. (laughs) I, you know, worked a lot on the data and really getting to know the products that we sold. And that, you know, led me to move from a data analyst side to the sales side. A good eight years of that tenure over there, I uh, led a lot of the sales, the efforts around our digital publishers, our uh, associations, our partnerships with those associations, and the agencies. And, you know, had a great time, great opportunity over there and uh, couldn't say anything bad about Comscore, but I did have the opportunity in front of me to uh, join Standard Media Index. Um, And it was an opportunity to build on a team, build on a really exciting data set and a new transparent data set to the Canadian market, which still to this day, near the end of our one year anniversary, we're still getting a lot of exciting kind of feedback from the uh, industry around wow, I never knew there was such thing that was available. And I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more, but that's kind of the origin story, what led me to be where I am. And I'm really happy to be with the team here, a a smart and strong team at Standard Media Index. Wow, awesome. It sounds like you understand all aspects of this industry that you find yourself in. You started off, you know, doing the grunt work, you know, for lack of a better term, analyzing, compiling data, understanding it, and then moving over to the sales of those services. And now, ultimately, as a managing director, you're now managing all aspects of the teams that handle what you used to do. That's, you know, that's the best type of approach and path for a very strong managing director. That's great to hear. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, as a, as an agency owner, you know, something that we sell to our clients all the time is, you know, data informed decisions and whether it's on something as, as occurring as social media and reoccurring as social media, all the way to a brick and mortar, you know, what kind of foot traffic goes in, what, where the eye levels are at. These data sets are things that really empower my industry to do our jobs well. In your experience, what has been kind of like that tough sell to clients or to potential clients when it comes to using data to back your decisions when it comes to uh, marketing? What has been like the tough sell? And I know that this could lead a couple of different paths, but what comes to mind? Yeah, I think a couple of things. First of all, you you say tough sell. I think the toughest sell today and will be for the next foreseeable future is the fact that there are so many data companies, right? Mm. And so many data companies that are, you know, touting how much data they have and how much it can help make informed decisions. I think that is probably the toughest sell for any data set. And just in advertising and marketing alone, there's hundreds of data sets that are available on the Canadian market. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the first one is, being able to differentiate. The next one is, is around quality of data. That's the next one that comes to mind is that everyone has quality data sets, but it's how you define quality. So as an agency owner, working with advertising clients, I think what is important more and more and for all marketers is to 
really identify what makes it a quality data set. What makes it a quality data set for me might not be the same as a quality data set for another marketer. Mm -hmm. And so I think before you even start to field questions and opportunities around ingesting new data sets is what is important? What data do we need in order to succeed? For a retail advertiser with brick and mortar stores, I think that foot traffic is an important one. But there are so many data sets that offer foot traffic. So again, it's defining what about the data sets is most important. And then just a little bit further down that data quality aspect, I think the biggest one is recognizing that there's going to be a difference more and more around first party and third party data more of an importance on the first-party data. I think we're always going to see a little bit of a shift towards getting to census-level data as opposed to projections and assumptions. I think that's a big one as well. And then another kind of factor in the data set is the representation of the universe, right? Is, you know, if I'm looking to define a particular market, the data set should be as close in representation to that particular market. Whether you're looking at a target audience, whether you're looking at you know digital media as a whole, that includes walled gardens and the long tail of digital publishers, you need to be able to include data across all of those different you know players in the in the industry and represent them well. So I think those are a few things that came to mind. But data quality is probably the biggest one I noticed. That's really interesting. And I think your background in this space, you know, being able to kind of rattle that off and educate me on the fly is really impressive. Now, you know, I guess put myself as your potential client. What do you do in your current position and what the standard media index offer that's unique? Like how to your first point about finding and differentiating in a very crowded industry, how do you guys do that right now for yourselves to kind of stand above the rest and say, we are the best fit for you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, for us, a couple of things uh, that really helps SMI stand out is that we're the only player that accesses actual spend data directly from these major holding agencies globally. And being able to access that invoice level spend data allows us to produce a couple of very unique offerings, a very transparent data set that looks at What is the actual spend by the buy side, right? And there are other data sources that might source from the publisher sell side, but they don't always match. They're often inflated when you compare that to what was actually done from the uh, the buy side. Mm. So what we're able to do is create a very, very special relationship with the agencies to help them better understand clearly and very granularly where they are spending their dollars and their clients' dollars. And for the clients of SMI, which are primarily media owners, you know, ad tech platforms, they are able to have the confidence that this is real spend data coming directly from those agencies. There's no estimates or projections in there. And so I think, you know, that importance of having a unique data set, SMI is in that space as the only one to access that. And then um, a step further, um, we are capturing about $100 billion, close to $100 billion in actual ad spend across North America. In Canada, that's over $6 billion. 
Um, and, and, and in the U.S., it's nearly $90 billion. And so with that amount of ad spend that's flowing through our system, we're able to produce a great spend um, metrics, but also pricing products. And so ongoingly, the marketers are asking, how much should I be spending? What is the CPM rates? What are the pricing rates? How are we doing more with less? And our data set, we're able to bring spend products, but also in the future for Canada and already happening in the US pricing products where you can start to make benchmarking decisions as to how much are you spending and what are your prices versus the prices that the market is spending or that my competitors in my category Mm. are spending. That is quite the unique offering because I won't say the other apps tools that we use right now, but that's the one thing that we can't see using the tool that we use to do some customer insights and benchmarking and competitor analysis for our clients. That's definitely huge. Can you share with me how you guys do that? Yeah, the methodology is actually pretty simple because we are in you know, capturing the data directly from the invoicing systems. You think of one particular IO, a campaign, you will see that Google and Facebook are on the campaign. You'll see the number of impressions and you'll see the gross media spend or the net media spend against that campaign, item by item for the entire campaign. What we're doing is we're cleansing and harmonizing the thousands and thousands of campaigns together. And we're saying that, you know, a billion dollars is spent on Google this year. How much is going through DV360? How much is going to YouTube or YouTube Select as their Google preferred uh, network? So being able to see that granularity allows us to already allocate how much is being spent across all these thousands of publishers, broadcasters, and media owners from out of home to digital to television. We see that. And so we have that the unit costs and the spend. And then when you couple that with audience impressions, so in digital, we would use impressions. In TV for Canada, we would use Numeris. In the US, we would use a player like Nielsen and Comscore Hmm. to get to how many people watched a particular telecast. And when you tie the spend that's going to a telecast with the audience that is watching that telecast, Pretty simply, with the the calculation, you can get to Mm. the actual CPMs that are happening. And so we're partnering with all the best in audience measurement in order to arrive at the what we call our effective CPM. And again, it, it then brings back to the importance of audience measurement and being able to make the right decisions with the informed data set of, you know, what's coming directly from the agencies. Wow. That sounds so valuable to have. (laughs) I'm wondering, so with the information, the insights, the data sets that you provide your guys' clients, do you then make recommendations with them and work through actionables with them? Or do you, does your approach go, here's, here's all the information, here's some high level insights from our team, you know, you guys take this and go execute with, within your internal teams? Yeah. Great question. And something that we are are, uh, constantly, constantly evolving over time. Now, SMI, we are a software as a service company. We have a cloud-based software, web-based software that allows you to access the data. 
but the value truly comes from those insights. So, you know, we are on a weekly basis providing category insights and spotlights on what's happening in automotive because what's happening in automotive is very different than what's happening in CPG Absolutely. as an advertising category, especially during the pandemic. And so being able to produce those insights have, you know, the eyebrows raised of all the agency partners and our publisher media owner clients, because those are big categories that they are going after. So we're working with our clients day in, day out to support their business. You know, what are the things you need next month, which might be different from this month because of the ad spend seasonality? All of those things are what we have top of mind. Obviously, the clients pay the bills and it's the most important for us to support them with the right insights and how to glean all of those insights from our data set. And then the last thing there was just visualization. What we're finding is that our data set has all the numbers and the figures, but being able to make that available to you know the C-suite in a visual uh, manner is more and more important. And Such I think that's so important. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure for your, your clients and CMOs, the marketers, they, they want to be able to at a high level understand how much is going digital today and how much is it in the U.S.? How do we compare in Canada? Those are you know things that can be achieved with data visualization. But obviously, the numbers are at the core are, are also important ongoingly as we work to integrate our data into our client systems and all. It honestly sounds invaluable. You touched on a couple of things there. I'm very curious. So during COVID, habits across marketing, the whole world, habits across the whole world's changed and evolved in your position. And obviously, you nerd out to, to the data and you nerd out yeah. to, to this industry as well. What are the shifting trends when it comes to digital with how clients spend money? Like, what have you observed? And that's part one. Part two is what do you predict is going to continue as the world returns to normal? Yeah, COVID has obviously been a hot topic. And um, I'd say that we're in a lucky place in Canada that we're finally getting out of that hit. So let me take a step back, actually. When this happened about a year ago, Canada was the hardest hit in Q2 of 2020, uh, the, the April to uh, June months. Canada, compared to leading other markets like US and UK, we were hit the most, down 48% year over year. So we were the hardest hit. Now, fast forward to Q4 of 2020, the October to December months, we were the slowest to recover. The US and UK rebounded and were in positive growth versus the same quarter the previous year. Mm -hmm. So advertisers had the confidence back in those markets to spend more than they did in the previous year, 2019. Canada, we were still down. And finally, now in Q1, and I say now, but that's in the past, but uh, January to March, we in Canada had rebound. We were up 4% versus the year before. And so just for overall context, and for maybe some of the listeners that are not in the advertising community, is that we were the hardest hit, slowest to recover, but we've now rebounded. We're in positive territory. And I think that is a promising reminder for the community that consumer confidence is back up, which relates to advertiser confidence, putting their messages out in the market. And then with the advertising confidence, that's going to fuel a number of different things economically, 
across all industries in the Canadian market. So from a trend perspective, that's the biggest thing is at the outset, we were the hardest hit and slowest to recover. Mm -hmm. Now, specifically for categories, it's no secret that travel, some of retail and automotive were hit the hardest, right? You can't shop for a car in, indoors. You cannot travel on airplanes. Um, and, you know, in many markets, including Canada, more importantly is that we couldn't go in stores a lot of the times, you know, essential or even non-essential, sorry, non-essential retail was not open. And so that hit the ad spend by those uh, advertisers, you know, enormously. And what we found was automotive has traditionally been the biggest category of ad spend across all media types in Canada, at least. But in 2020, CPG became the top advertising category. And so they shot up to the top one in every $4 were CPG. So that's personal care items, household items, all things that relate to cleaning your house, toilet paper, more, cleaning more, drinking more, all of those categories grew in the 2020 year. So those are some of the categories. And then in the US, obviously, a different advertising um, market in terms of pharmaceuticals, that was one of the bigger driving categories for that market in, in the year of 2020 as well. So just some high level trends that we've been noticing uh, as a result of COVID. But I think looking forward, we're looking forward to those pre-pandemic levels across all ad categories. We're seeing growth. And then the last one I'll add in here is actually digital. We've seen a huge shift in the pendulum to spend on digital. Back in 2019, spend on digital was about 50 to 52% of all spend. That has shifted now to 60% of all spend. And, you know, it doesn't seem like much going up 5 to 10 percentage points. But when you look at the volume, you know, in a $14 billion market, that is a massive shift. And obviously, that had to do with COVID. People had to shift their dollars to different media types that you were able to work more on the fly, you know, bring back your campaign if things on the restrictions were changed. And also and, uh, to see, also to see, I'm not driving by any out of home or seeing any out of home, right? That's exactly, uh, this yeah, is, this is my majority screen. Exactly. It follows the audience and less people spent out of home. And, you know, there is some research that shows that foot traffics are back to pre-pandemic levels, but less people outside their home see less out of home and consume less radio media. And that was definitely reflected in the data as well. Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting to see. And to see it at, I can only imagine what it, what it looks like to see it at the scale you do across all the different industries. Thank you for the insight there. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So. I would love to tap into your experience and project more and then try to get some of your projections for what's going to happen. What are you seeing in the next three years when it comes to ad buying and the media dollars being spent? Are we as an as a industry, the agencies leaving programmatic uh, banners? Are they How are they being affected by that? What does the next three years of digital media spend look like with this uptick? Do you predict it to continue? I mean, several questions in there to unpack. Yeah. But um, no, that's great. Let me actually start with programmatic because I think that is the biggest area that we've seen growth from. And, you know, we'll call it traditionally, but back five years ago, programmatic was a lot of display and maybe a little bit of video. And that has changed tremendously. Programmatic and the rise of programmatic is especially prominent in the Canadian market, but it is, it's growing everywhere. And the reason why it's growing is because they were able to adapt much quicker to the explosion in streaming services. So streaming audio, OTT, ad-supported video, even digital out of home. Those are the ones that programmatic were able to adapt to and make inventory available pretty quickly. And so I think programmatic, you know, the first one is that one's going to continue to see a rise. We're going to see shift in not only traditional media dollars going into digital, but digital dollars going into programmatic digital spending. And so we're going to see growth from players like DSPs, like the Trade Desk and platforms like MIQ, who are making more and more inventory available across those streaming audio platforms, the digital out-of-home advanced audiences on TV. We're going to see a, a huge explosion from them. And then, you know, we're speaking on a podcast right now. I think, you know, it's worthwhile to mention the area of streaming audio, highlight them specifically. Podcasts are getting bigger and bigger. People with the pandemic too, are spending more time, we'll call it at home, but if they're out for a walk, people are getting smarter listening to podcasts of areas of interest. And I think that is a huge area to reach new audiences. Every moment of our days as a consumer, we're now streaming something. And I think what the publishers and owners, as you see from all of the acquisitions happening in the space, are recognizing that we need to get on these platforms where the audiences are. So we'll see a continuous shift to these uh, streaming services, specifically audio and, and podcast. And then the last one there is just TV. I think, you know, if I had my crystal ball, I think we'll start to see a little bit of a renewed and a refreshed start. Some of these traditional linear television broadcast networks are going to continue to expand into streaming services 
make acquisitions, differentiate themselves from a streaming perspective. Um, and you saw it from the upfronts and the new fronts this year. It's like a massive change towards and focus towards all of the streaming capabilities and the inventory available there, as opposed to their traditional linear platforms. But you know, at the same time, the pandemic obviously struck the Hollywood and production pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. We're going to start to see production ramp back up. Great new television programming entering the market and. We're going to see that renewed refresh start from the TV industry. We'll call it the traditional television media type. Wow. What about influencers? Now, influencers, when we make a recommendation to our clients, we'll give them like a full, you know, here's campaign or product or service promo X. Here's an entire campaign for your digital ecosystem. Here's your website strategy. Here's your social strategy. Here's your media buy strategy. Here's your content strategy. And then ultimately, here's your influencer strategy. So what we're seeing is obviously an increase in the amount of media spend going from what would traditionally be, and I say traditionally again, last five years of my life, what would traditionally be social Google platforms. But now we're seeing you know, more and more often budgets being shifted from that media spend to an influencer spend. So when I think about the influencer industry in general, one of the biggest, I guess, weaknesses of it and why we're hesitant to recommend using influencers sometimes is the lack of transparency into the data that they see from their audiences. Now, is this something that you predict will continue in terms of the lack of insights available to brands when they engage with influencers? Is it going to have to be the native to platform insights that we use? Or is there going to be something you think that will be able to essentially do what you're doing, measure spends, and then the results with when it comes to, I guess, this additional distribution platform of influencers? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great topic of conversation. And a lot of my experience actually at Comscore was more related to this area of influencers and branded content and all of that. I think, you know, my opinion on this area is that why we haven't been able to see, um, we'll call it an evolution in the insights that come from influencer campaigns is that the foundation of insights comes from measurement. And everyone is just measuring themselves. And so I'm talking about the platforms that you that have influencer content, you know, the big publishers, they are measuring themselves and the insights come from them. I think there is not as much third party measurement around there and a representative kind of third party objective view of how influencer campaigns are performing. And as a result, the insights are very limited. Now, that being said, in kind of what we did at Comscore and in measuring uh, these branded content campaigns is that we've seen so much success and a a huge rise in the spend and the dollars going into influencer content. And the biggest thing for me is that when we start to see the true measurement Mm. in the market, we'll call it from the US as the biggest market and in Canada we will then start to see the real insights come through. And if I was predicting what would happen is that I think what we're finding in the recent, we'll call it two years, Mm. at least in Canada, is that Canadians are very smart consumers. 
And I say that in the sense of when we now scroll through our Instagram feeds, our Facebook feeds, even our YouTube recommended videos, it is very obvious to Canadians, I believe, how to capture what is, you know, hashtag ad, what is paid content, and what is true organic content. And what I think we'll start to see is that it's really about the brands that are going to differentiate themselves in the influencer space and branded content space and get away from the traditional, you know, product placement and speak about all the great qualities about our particular product and make sure you tag it with hashtag ad. So I I think we'll see a little bit of a change because consumers are probably scrolling right through it uh, much quicker than Mm -hmm. they used to be a handful of years ago. And that, again, is going to come with a representative third-party objective measurement where we can see those insights and the research that really proves that out. But, you know... I think branded content on the positive side, you know, has a massive opportunity to continue to grow, especially in linear television, being able to see that the products indirectly shown on in the production studio and, you know, being used in uh, an organic fashion. I think they have a, a big opportunity to get away from the traditional creative, the traditional commercial spot the display ad, the the pre-roll on digital video and getting the products right into the, the content itself. Absolutely. Well, when you figure out a way to measure it, you contact me right away and we'll onboard we'll, that immediately. We will make some noise for sure. I, I want to I get to know um, you a little bit better personally now. It was great to hear about your industry, but um, I'm curious about, you know, what are your top podcasts? I hear that you're quite active listening to Marketing News Canada. That's great. What are the other podcasts you listen to? What would you recommend to our listeners? Yeah. Every day I, I catch uh, some of the daily news podcasts. It's a different format to keep up with the news. And it, for some reason, just feels more personal to me. So it's, uh, and I do, you know, not for Canada, but I, I do tune into the US ones, the Daily, you know, the Journal and um, uh, BBC, World Business Report. Uh, those are the top three that I get kind of a, a quick update on what's happening in the news around, you know, business and marketing and trends and technology and all of that. What about for fun? For fun, it's still very industry related. You know, Built for Change from Accenture is just a new one that that has just come out. I've really enjoyed that one. I think for fun, I'll call it for fun, but Business Wars is a great one. That was recommended to me by Yvonne at Spotify. And uh, Business Wars talks a lot about, you know, one of the most recent ones was the vaccine wars, like the wars for these big drug companies yeah. to come up with the vaccine the fastest. Wow. Mattel versus all uh, Hasbro, Levi's versus like all the big top competitors in each industry, how they've battled it out and won over the years. I think the the one of the more recent ones is is around uh, WWE or something like that. It's that's a really great podcast to listen to, and they do a lot of reenactments that are are really fun to listen to. That's awesome. You probably listed about three podcasts that I also listen to on a daily basis. So it's good to hear yeah. that we, I got similar insights here. I really enjoyed the Day X one on the, the Sunday episodes. They'd be dropping on the daily. That's been yeah. crazy. Uh, yeah, awesome. So a couple more questions before we go into our rapid fire question round. But um, where are you headed? 
So looking for the next five years, like where do you want to be and where do you want to put yourself when it comes to your professional side? Mm. It's a really good question. You know, I'll answer it a couple different ways because when you first started off, I thought me personally is a little bit different than professionally, obviously. But professionally, I'll start there is that I want to definitely be seen as more of a knowledge fountain for the industry. You know, opportunities in speaking across industry conferences is important for me. Being able to have people reach out and answer their toughest questions around predictions in the future, but also what's happening today based on the data. That's an important one for me is just overall being seen as a, a source of information and what's next in this community. And I think the areas of uh, always learning, listening to these podcasts is going to be where that leads me to. So that's where, you know, in a concise bottle, that's uh, what I would love to do professionally. And then just a little bit more of a balance of time personally, spending more time. I've got two young children, you know, I want to be able to spend more time in these years you know, before they reach the age of 10 and and become teenagers, I want to be able to spend more and more time with them. And obviously the pandemic has helped Mm. a lot in that sense, but that's where I want to be in the next five, 10 years, have a little bit more focus on family and and balancing my career, which a bulk of my last 10 to 15 years has been a huge focus for me and bringing that pendulum back to uh, family. Well, that's great. You took the second question right out of my mouth, which was your person, where you want to be personally in five years. But that that's great to hear that you want to be a fountain of information, as you put it. Mm-hmm. I think in my experience, it's quite hard to find people who are both qualified and also have that will to want to be able to give back and educate within their industry. And we definitely need more people like you making yourselves available after putting so much into it, taking so much away from the industry, giving back and teaching. So that's really good to hear. Um, Thanks. Appreciate it. You sound like a very busy man. So what is one life hack you can leave our our listeners with? What have you found that has saved you time or something that has been invaluable in terms of a habit you've adopted? Yeah, I have a good one, actually. I think it's a good one. Over the last year, I have changed to be in the 5 a.m. group. So I do wake oh up at 5 Oh my God. <laughs> That's my alarm clock. But that also means I go to bed earlier. That balance of time I needed to play around with. And over the last six months or so, I've really enjoyed having a little bit of the personal time to prepare my mind in the morning, catch up on work, emails, clear that inbox, you know, focus on proactive items that I want to do for work. Gives me time to walk with my dog and kind of, again, clear the mind, listen to the podcast, get up to date on what's happening in the, you know, the world of news. And then come home and start the day with the kids awake and feeding them for breakfast, lunch and dinner and all of that. That's an important one for me. But waking up at 5 a.m. has really worked. It's probably not for everyone. It's certainly not for my wife, but uh, it's worked really well for me as a life hack. Yeah. Listeners, you heard it here first. 5 a.m. is the life hack here from it Derek. Well, that yeah. that's definitely a habit that I can see myself developing into. I'm becoming more and more of an early riser. Mm-hmm. But when my wife and I add kids to our family, I'm sure that that personal time will be further and few between. So yeah. cheers for that. Um, I'd love to end with some rapid fire questions. So for these ones, gut answer, no right or wrong answer, just for our listeners to kind of get to know you a little bit better better as a person really quick. So I'll just go for it. All right. What was your first job? 
a lifeguard, actually change room attendant at the swimming pool. Which pool? It was in the town of Markham here in uh, Toronto in the GTA. It was one of the biggest, busiest swimming pools, Millican Mills. My God. So what was your worst job? Oh, I was going to say newspaper carrier. I was a newspaper carrier before that change room attendant, but I, I considered the change room attendant my first job. But uh, I put both of those in there, newspaper <laughs> carrier and change room attendant. You know, that's a, a nicer way to say a janitor for the change room, <laughs> keeping it clean. It was one of my earliest jobs that I learned uh, a lot about being professional and, and uh, yeah. helping out the greater good of the team. Yeah, what's the data set of people who don't clean up them so after themselves properly after oh, getting paid? Yeah. We've got stories, but that's for another podcast. Yeah, I understand you're, you're quite a foodie and you, you like cooking. What is your must-have kitchen tool? Oh, all right. I'm going to, you know, this won't be a surprise. I won't take a quick turn, but... It is definitely my chef's knife. I've got a Zwilling Henkel's chef's knife. Uh, keep it sharp. It's the best tool. When you can cut and have the proper knife skills, you can do anything in the kitchen. So that's probably my most prized and most used tool for sure. Oh, thanks for sharing. I thought it was for sure going to be air fryer. I checked out your uh, I checked out oh. your hashtag. Oh, that's a good one. Yes, I, I, that definitely comes in second because you, you still got to be able to cut in order to put something in the air fryer. But if listeners need an excuse or a reason, a justification to get an air fryer, I've convinced now 20 friends to get an air fryer. I can uh, convert you as well. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right. When every restaurant starts to open up, right, what are the top three restaurants you look forward to uh, going to dine at with personally or, or just with the family in, in Toronto? Oh, that's going to be a rapid fire question I can't answer. Okay. Um, the reason is I'm, I'm not too into the dining restaurant scene. So it would be a really bad call to make recommendations. We don't eat out that much as a family. And I try to do a lot of the cooking in our family and, you know, expose the children to different uh, types of cuisine. But we like to do that ourselves. No, so that's we don't a, dine out a lot. That's a great answer. Um, I thought this one was going to be one where you didn't have any trouble with, but that's good to know. Yeah. Okay. What is a marketing book or a business book you'd recommend for our listeners? It's definitely got to be, uh, you know, an oldie but goodie, uh, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, yeah. I think you know, that chapter on stickiness is probably one of the best written chapters. And again, for the explosion of audio streaming, the audio book is just as great as, as it's read by Malcolm himself. It's a great read. So that actually makes me want to ask another rapid fire question then. What's your 10,000 hours in? You know, I'm going to save that one for another podcast. That's a big topic. But uh, for me, you know, the most important, we'll call it the marketing concept around building that idea and letting people come to it is going to be the greatest takeaway from that book for me. I really love that idea of stickiness and, and having people, you know, creating that for people to come back to day in, day out. I think that's the most important concept. Absolutely. Okay. What was your favorite recipe you created or learned how to do during COVID? Oh, that is a good one. I can see your mouth watering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I forgot the actual term for it, but we in our household call it cheese bread. It's a Brazilian, I think it's an appetizer. 
You literally use tapioca starch and a couple of different cheeses. You make a very, very low viscous liquid batter, pour it into muffin trays, bake it for, I think, 10 minutes or so. And it's got this cheesy pull apart bread that's really nice. And that tapioca starch, like it is with regular tapioca, you know, pearls, it, it has that sticky chewiness that the family here loves. Well, you're going to have to email me once you remember that, what it's called. I'm just going to Google Brazilian cheese bread. and You will get it. When you Google Brazilian cheese bread, you will get that term as your first result. That's great. Thank you so much, Derek, for joining me today. Thank you for your, your, your insight that comes from you know over a decade and experience in your field and industry. It's been very eye-opening for myself. And I know this will be something that our listeners really take heed to and begin to start opening their eyes to the more data-orientated approach and the way that you do things at SMI. So appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Daryl. I really enjoyed the conversation. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.